to be with y'all this morning. Uh, my name is J.P. Sibley, and I'm a uh, Presbyterian church planter here in Orangeburg, believe it or not. And uh, this is my home church. I grew up here. My mom and dad are members. My father um, is a ruling elder here at Trinity. And um, I actually have an office back in the dark corner of the office area back there, um, which I'm very thankful for. Um, that space to keep my books and come up here once a week and use the copy machine um, as I need and have, have a quiet place to study. So um, thank you for that. And um, this morning, it's my privilege to get to open the Word. I was thinking about that song, um, there's one way that we bow down before God, and it's to submit ourselves to His Word. It's to open His Word and to submit ourselves to it. So um, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, also, um, your pastor has been working through several passages of First Peter. And um, it's my desire as a church planter and as a co-worker, a co-laborer, to, to, to come alongside what, what your pastors are already doing to teach you. They know you. Um, They're shepherding you. And so I was able to choose a passage from First Peter um, to, to hopefully coincide with what your pastor's already doing. Um, so I want you to see that um, kind of coming alongside as uh, part of what I desire to do in leading us this morning in the Word. Um, also, part of that is um, when, when they asked me to preach, I, I decided I needed to start growing my beard out. So... I've got I've got a I've got a long way to go, but um, that's okay. And my wife doesn't want it too long, so let me um, let me ask you if you would stand and turn in your scripture to First Peter, um, chapter five. We'll be reading just a few verses, verse verses eight through eleven. This is God's word. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will establish, restore, confirm, strengthen you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me as you remain standing? Father, we come before your word this morning and we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would give us um, the sense of your word, that we would apply, that you would apply it to our lives, that we would not leave here unchanged, but that, that the word would have its effect and that we would go out as your children, and even as those who do not know you that would come to know you and be transformed. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So as a mission pastor in Orangeburg, as a church planter, um, we moved here one year ago. Today, actually. I think it was today or yesterday. And have been spending this year getting to know the community kind of like a missionary, which is weird because I grew up here. So there's a lot that I already knew and know about Orangeburg. But I, I really wanted to approach Orangeburg, a familiar place, as a missionary. And so what I began to do was go out and meet people. I began to go out and speak with other ministers, including your pastors. Um, and one of the first pastors that I was able to speak to was a man named Charcy Priester. He was actually a guy that I, I believe y'all have worked with their church before, St. Paul Baptist Church. Um, and I had a connection with Sam Lambrick, and so I had Sam's name to name drop and went 
to, uh, to meet Charcy, and uh, we went to worship with them one Sunday. And so an uh, all-predominantly African-American church. Um, so my family went in there and um, worshiped with them. And um, I wanted to see how does this pastor of a large church in Orangeburg approach ministry to this community. So it, it was a learning exercise. Okay, to go and to learn from him. So we went and observed. And during the worship service, which was, um, let's just say, a little louder than our worship here, um, and a little, a little more uh, excitement going on, we're contemplative. They're expressive. Okay? There's some differences in the way we worship. Those are fine differences. They're just differences. Um, but during the service, the pastor pulled from behind the pulpit, and I don't have one today, a shofar. You know what a shofar is? It's a, it's, a, it's a horn, like a ram's horn. Okay? He took out the shofar and started to blow this ram's horn in the middle of the worship service, and it was loud and weird. Okay? And you'll hear me use that word again. And so after the worship service that week, I called the pastor up and said, Pastor, can I come meet with you? I want to pray with you and just get to know you, ask you how, about ministry. So I did that, and I asked him the question, how do you approach ministry in Orangeburg? How do you approach discipleship? How do you reach the lost? I'm asking the pastor that, uh, that, that question. And he began to describe to me an almost mystical approach to ministry. He talked about anointing with oil. He talked about being anointed with oil. He talked about praying for the sick. He talked about oppression, spiritual darkness. He talked about angelic visits. Okay, And I was weirded out. And I was like, this is weird. Did I use that word? It was weird. And it was. And you would have been weirded out too. You might not even have gone. But I'm a missionary. I had to go. I had to find out, what are the, what are the other churches in Orangeburg doing? And, and, and I was tempted to shut him down and say, this is silly. Okay, This is silly what you're doing. But the Holy Spirit ministered to me sitting in his office, and I said, okay, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me here? What is this? And it came to me. He is, he is aware of a spiritual battle, a spiritual darkness that pervades this community. He was a, so aware of it that he was addressing it with his methodology. Now, it was, it, it was things that we don't, I'm not advocating even, okay? anointing with oil and all that stuff. We do that from time to time, don't we? Anoint the sick with oil. I'm sure your pastors have done that. Um, But this was like a different way of approaching ministry. But what I got out of it was there's a spiritual battle going on. And so this passage, as we come to it today, we're going to look at the work of the devil. We're going to look at how the devil prowls around like a roaring lion and how God has equipped and enabled us to respond to the work of the devil in our community, and in, even in our own lives. Here's where we're going. We're going to talk about three tactics of the devil, two defensive actions, and our one hope of salvation. Three tactics of the devil, two defensive actions, and one hope of salvation. First, look with me at the second part of verse 8. He writes, Peter writes, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I didn't know much about lions, so I watched a documentary on lions. And the documentary is called When Lions Attack. Write that down. It's not PG, okay? It's got some graphic stuff in it, but it's When Lions Attack. And I learned 
how, how strategic lions are in their attack and how they hunt. And so I want to share some of this with you this morning as a way for us to understand maybe what Peter's getting at when he describes the devil as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Um, first, we're going to look at zebras. All right, so I got some pictures, okay? Um, hope that's not offensive. Um, the zebra's thirst makes it vulnerable. And so the lion's strategy for the zebra is to ambush the thirsty. To ambush the thirsty. The lion will find a watering hole, and he will wait patiently, even all day, in the shadows, in the tall grass, blending in, waiting and waiting and waiting for the zebra to move toward the water. And as the zebra moves in, they glance around. They're like, they know something might be up, but they don't see any danger because the lion is hiding. The lions begin to move into position, surrounding the zebras. And as soon as the zebra's head goes down to the water, the lions ambush. They attack and go in for the kill. The zebra's weakness is his thirst. Sometimes the devil will tempt you to sin by offering something that you think you need, like water. Maybe you're thirsty for a promotion. The devil may tempt you to improve the truth a little about your performance or to casually put down another candidate for that job because you're thirsty for a promotion. Or maybe you're thirsty for the attention of the opposite sex. The devil may tempt you to indulge in a flirtatious conversation telling you it's no big deal. You need this. You need this. He will tell you that to make you feel better about yourself. What do you thirst for? Like the zebra, do you thirst for approval? We all do. Do you thirst for pleasure? We're created to enjoy pleasure. Do you thirst for power or for comfort? We are lured into the devil's trap by our thirst but in the end we are destroyed and you know it's true every time relationships are broken bodies who are made in God's image are turned into objects for our pleasure people become a means to an end God is mocked and to top it off our thirst is never quenched we just keep thirsting and so the devil's first strategy is to ambush the thirsty. Second, about impalas. You should have a picture of the impalas. Check them out. They're looking on. Can you see the lion in the background? He's back there. Impalas have a built-in alarm system, kind of like some of your homes. And they can actually outrun a lion. In the wide open, the lion doesn't stand a chance to catch them. They can outrun, they can jump 10 feet in the air, they can jump 30 feet in distance. The Impalas know how to get away, and they have this built-in alarm system. And they stay in a herd for protection, as you can see. So lions wait until dark. They prowl close to the herd, but not too close, because they don't want to set off their alarm. But when the Impala become comfortable in the darkness and feel that they're safe, they let down their guard. The lions blitz. They all go at once. They fan out in a line. It's really amazing how the lions do this. They fan out in a line, 
And then the impala realize what's going on, but by that time it's too late. And the lions strike their victim. The impala's weakness is the darkness or getting out from the herd. Sometimes the devil waits until the dark to strike. For the people that Peter is writing here in 1 Peter, and probably as you've seen, things had gotten really dark in terms of their persecution. They were being, they were being persecuted for their faith. They were suffering for the sake of their obedience to Christ. And if you're being persecuted, and if you're suffering, it can get really old. And a darkness can settle in to your life. Like the Impalas, Christians who are persecuted can be in a constant state of alert, of watchfulness. But when we finally get some rest, it can make you complacent. And you feel like you're just tired of being on all the time and I'm always trying to do good, I'm always trying to do right. And eventually you get tired of it and you let down your guard. My college roommate once told me that he wasn't struggling with pornography anymore. He had just decided to give in. Christian guy. He wasn't struggling anymore. He just decided to give in. Has sin become common and comfortable to you? King David had a reputation as a great and powerful king because he was constantly fighting. He was constantly in battle. He was constantly defeating God's enemies and he eventually got tired and complacent and he stayed at home. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about how David decided to stay at home when all the other kings were out to war. Darkness was an opportunity for, for the devil to tempt King David to commit adultery with Bathsheba, which led to a conspiracy to murder her husband Uriah. For us... For believers, for Christians, suffering and persecution in the faith can make us particularly susceptible to the temptations and the threats of the devil. Because we may feel that we deserve the pleasures of sin. We deserve a break. Because we've done so well for so long, we've suffered. And so the devil uses that as an opportunity to come into that darkness and to tempt us to, to, to turn away from the Lord. Like the Impala, don't let the devil creep too close. Don't tell yourself, I can watch that movie and not be tempted. Don't tell yourself, I can go to that party and not be tempted. Don't tell yourself, I can be friends with that coworker of the opposite sex and not be tempted. Watch out for the blitz. As Rich Mullins sang, we are not as strong as we think we are great song so the second strategy of the devil is the blitz in the darkness and then third the siege of the injured and isolated giraffes giraffes are large animals and if i'm a lion i'm thinking there's no way i can get this guy he's too big and too unwieldy for me to even attempt Giraffes are perfectly safe out in the open grasslands. You'll see giraffe on the plains, and there'll be lions hanging around, but they're not messing with those giraffes. Why? Because the giraffes have great vision. They have huge eyeballs. I don't know if you've ever seen a giraffe, but they have wonderful uh, vision. And they also have hooves 
the size of dinner plates. And so if you're attacking the giraffe and you're a lion and you get kicked in the head with a dinner plate, it's not going to end well for you. Okay? And so giraffes on the open plain are fine. They're safe. So lions will lure giraffes into rocky and wooded terrain where they lose both defenses. You can even see in this picture um, there's sort of a, a rocky terrain. Sometimes male giraffes get into territory fights, and afterwards the, the loser wanders off into a secluded place to lick his wounds, to recover from being tired and injured. It's the perfect opportunity for the lions. The documentary says that they'll send in two or three lions to distract the giraffe, and then one will come from behind and jump on its back. And I think that's what's happening in this picture. While the others pile on, knocking the victim off balance. The giraffe's weakness is being weary and isolated. Being injured and alone. Sometimes the devil tempts us to sin when we're isolated. When we're alone. Or when we're injured. He tempts us when we're outside of the fellowship of other believers. If the only contact you have with believers is coming to church on Sunday, you are a target for the devil. You're a target for the devil. This was Job's situation. He was injured and isolated. He hated the day of his birth. And the devil tempted him to curse God and die. Devil means accuser. The word devil means accuser. And it's in those quiet, tired, reflective moments when we begin to feel his accusations. Do you feel the devil accusing you? God doesn't really love you. You're not worthy. Did God really say you can't eat of the fruit? You're worthless. We hear those piercing accusations of the devil and we forget who we are. Nobody cares about you. Nobody in this church cares about you. The accusations of the devil. We are susceptible to this kind of accusation when we're out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters of the faith. Like the lone giraffe going off to lick his wounds. We can fall into temptation because we need one another to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need one another. We need to be spurring one another on, preaching the gospel to one another, as John Mark repeated over and over this morning in leading our worship, that we need to be transformed by that message. So these are the tactics of the devil, and there are two defensive actions that our passage brings to mind. The first is in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Um, we've seen that the devil attacks in, in all of these different ways, and a lot of times it's because the animal, the, the lion attacks, and the animal is not being watchful or not, not being sober-minded, not being alert, not watching out. But we need to know that the enemy is out there. That's what was so powerful about meeting with this pastor and just seeing, okay, he gets the fact that there, are, there is an enemy out there, that this is a spiritual battle. He gets that. And I was encouraged and I was convicted by that. Because I'm not always aware of the spiritual reality of what's going on. But lions are lazy. They will not attack 
an animal that is vigilant and watchful. I hope you've seen that. They only attack when they have an opportunity. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11 reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And almost all of those weapons, spiritual weapons, are defensive weapons. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes fit for the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. They're defensive weapons mostly. There's really only one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. And so we are to be sober-minded, to be watchful every day, to wake up, to visit with God in His Word, to pray, and to be vigilant, be sober-minded against the schemes of the devil. Secondly, in verse 9, Peter writes, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We are not only to defend and protect ourselves, but we are also instructed to fight back, to resist him, Peter writes. Lions are quick, but they tire quickly. They can sprint, but they can't run a marathon. So when temptation strikes, the Lord has given us his spirit to enable us to turn away from the temptation. To speak the truth to the lie and say, this is a lie from the devil. Whatever that temptation is, it's a lie. At the very base of it, it's a lie. And I just have to figure out, what's the lie here? What's the lie here? I'm being tempted to sin. What's the lie? And so say, out loud even, say, this is a lie. What is the lie? Persevere. If we persevere in watchfulness and in vigilance and in fighting back, the enemy will turn away as quickly as he came. Because the Spirit enables us to fight that fight. When you're tempted, resist. Don't just lie down and let yourself get ripped to shreds by Satan and by the wickedness of sin. Resist, turn, fight. Speak the truth. Pray for the Lord to rescue you. Sometimes all we have is help. Sometimes that's the only prayer we have when faced with temptation or suffering is help. And we need to pray that prayer. That's a simple prayer, isn't it? A child can pray that prayer. Help. Pray for God's help. He says, stand firm in your faith. He doesn't say, stand firm for your faith. This is, an, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but stand firm for the faith. A lot of times in our evangelical Christianity, we talk about standing for the faith. Standing firm for the faith. And we have rallies and marches to stand for the faith, to be a good witness for God, which usually means being a nice person, doing the right thing, taking a stand against the bad things out there in the culture. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say stand for the faith. He says stand firm in your faith. The problem with this other focus is that the, all of the emphasis is on, is on what we're doing to stand up for the faith. Rather than standing in the faith, which means trusting in God, relying on Him, leaning on Jesus, believing in Him. That's the standing firm in the faith. It's not 
what we do. It's trusting and resting in what God is doing and what God has done. The Christian life is not about being passive, but it's about resting in what Jesus is doing and has done. The only way to truly resist temptation is to actively trust in Jesus. And lastly, I just want to close with this one hope of salvation. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is addressing people who are suffering. And so he's putting everything into perspective, into an eternal perspective. He reminds us that our relationship with God is built on God's grace alone. He is the God of all grace. It comes to us as a gift. God condescends and he he rescues us, not because of the good works that we've done, as we sang about earlier, but he rescues us just because of his sheer grace, his love for his people. And so we, we stand in his grace. Our one hope of salvation from this prowling adversary is our union with Christ. Being connected with Jesus is our only hope to turn away from these temptations. Because Jesus was tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Jesus' temptation by Satan himself in Matthew 4 shows us how he overcame every strategy of the devil. He was tempted three times. He overcame the ambush of the thirsty. Jesus was in the desert 40 days. You know he was thirsty. You know he was hungry. So the devil tempted him in this weakness. Make these stones into bread. But Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Tempted by his thirst, but he overcame the ambush of the devil. Second, he overcame the blitz in the darkness. Jesus was tempted to throw himself off of the temple to see if God would rescue him. The devil was questioning Jesus' own faith in his heavenly Father to that relationship. Jesus had just been baptized and had heard the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. And so the devil hoped that Jesus would be complacent in that relationship with God. And that he, he cast a shadow of darkness onto Jesus and said, Would God rescue you if you flung yourself off the temple? Would he rescue you? Jesus, why don't you just test it out? Just try it out. Let's see if if God really is who he says he is. And Jesus answered, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He resisted and he overcame the blitz in the darkness. And thirdly, he overcame the siege of the injured and isolated. Jesus was alone in the wilderness. He was in the enemy's territory. It wasn't a friendly territory. He was outside of the fellowship. He was feeling tired and powerless. So the devil tempted him to take hold of the wealth of the world by worshiping and by simply bowing down and worshiping Satan. 
After all, Jesus must have been thinking, you know, God has ordained a very simple and gloryless life for you, Jesus. I mean, you grew up in poverty. You never had anything, Jesus. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the world. Jesus was injured, isolated, and he was tempted to take the easy route to riches by simply bowing down and worshiping Satan. But Jesus answered, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. We have a Savior who has overcome all of the siege and the, and the temptation and the strategies of the devil so that through faith in him, we can stand with him, in him, against the devil's schemes, and only in him. All who trust in Christ are restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established by the God of all grace. And through Jesus, we can be sober-minded and watchful. We can resist the temptations of the devil through faith in Christ. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this picture of the devil and of his temptation. We thank you that you have overcome that you were tempted in every way, yet without sin. God, would you um, remind us of our union with Christ? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us vigilance against the devil that we would not stand idly by, but that we would love our neighbors, that we would see that our neighbors are oppressed by the devil and that we ourselves are even tempted by him? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Lord, give us eyes to see the spiritual battle and may we fight that battle. Lord, may this church be a refuge for all those who are suffering at the hand of the devil, who have been and are being devoured by the lion who is the devil. And God, give, uh, give this church a vision to love and to pray and to bring the light of the gospel to our community. Do that by your power and through the work of your spirit. Amen.